2 Kings 19, uh, you guys have been making your way through uh, the, the Samuels and the Kings for some time. Last week, uh, introduced to King Hezekiah, who is the king of uh, the southern nation of Judah after the, the split of Israel, the northern nation, and the southern nation, Judah. And Israel had just been taken captive by the Assyrians and uh, Hezekiah is now the king of that southern nation, Judah. And, and in, reading through the story of the kings and, and in the Chronicles, uh, when you see the words, uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, it's like a, it's like a drink of fresh water. Uh, because reading through these stories, it is not all that often that we are introduced to a king and we hear those words to follow. And Hezekiah is one of those kings who is obedient to the word of God. He is faithful to the law of God. And he himself uh, does what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And last week, you guys learned about the revival that Hezekiah brought to the nation of Judah. Hezekiah does this tremendous work straight away of reestablishing temple worship, reinstituting Davidic worship in the temple, bringing instruments, and he sanctifies the people. He, he uh, consecrates the priests. He celebrates the Passover. Hezekiah really is uh, this amazing man of God and, and one, of the, um, one of the few kings, honestly, that, that we read about that is, is all in for God who we're told served God as his father David did, which is such a high compliment as we read through the story. And, and Hezekiah is a king, like I said, of the nation of Judah. And if you remember the, the role of the king in the time of Hezekiah, the role of the, uh, the king of Israel is kind of an interesting one because the real design of the nation of Israel, when God freed the Israelites out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land, the design was for God to be the leader over his people. That is the, really the reason why God gives Moses the law on top of Mount Sinai was that he was establishing his rule and his reign over the people of God. But we see throughout the book of Judges that the people uh, reject God's reign. They turn away from God's laws and they turn away from his commandments and they turn away from his heart. And so throughout the book of Judges, we, we see these judges who are redeeming God's people back to his heart. And then in the story of the Samuels, we see that uh, the nation of Israel is crying out for a king, for a, a leader among the people. And the design of the king was to lead the people to God. Really, the design of the king for the nation of Israel, and once it split Israel and Judah, was similar to a pastor. The, the role was to lead the people to God's law, to God's heart, and in God's ways. It's similar to the idea that Peter writes in, in 1 Peter as he, he calls a pastor a kind of under-shepherd of the people. That God was the ruler of Israel and Judah, but the role of the king was to lead God's people to the ultimate ruler who is God himself. And Hezekiah does a pretty excellent job of doing that. He, he re revives the land. He brings God's people back into relationship. 
And through the life of Hezekiah, his, his life is marked by kind of three moments uh, of prayer that, that he prays. First, you guys looked at it last week, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but uh, Hezekiah wants to reinstitute the Passover in the land. <clears throat> it's been a while since they've celebrated the Passover, and he wanted, he wanted to do it. And so he, he gathers everything and is ready to celebrate the Passover. But the problem was the people had not been ceremonially cleansed the way that the law of Moses instructs the people to be before celebrating the Passover. So there was, in the law, there was a way that they needed to wash their hands and clean their bodies in order to celebrate the Passover, and the people had not yet done it. But Hezekiah gathers, or, or go, approaches God with this prayer that's pretty incredible. It's in 2 Chronicles 30. In verse 18, and, and, and Hezekiah prays, he says, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God. And the God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And we're told this, and the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. This is incredible prophetic prayer of Hezekiah where he is turning to God and asking for an atonement on the people that it has nothing to do with their physical bodies, but it's this prophetic prayer that is asking God himself to cleanse the people spiritually. It's really this, this kind of foreshadowing of the work of Jesus, that it's no longer a physical cleansing, but it's a spiritual one that we don't do ourselves, but God does on our behalf. It's this really, really cool moment. And then later on, uh, the, the Assyrian army who recently captured uh, the nation of of Israel. They are kind of circling around Judah. They send a letter into Judah, basically blaspheming God, insulting God, saying that, that they're going to conquer them and all of this stuff. And, and Hezekiah again is led to God, led down to his knees to pray. And he prays in 2 Kings 19, 19, now therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. And when Hezekiah prays that, uh, sometime in, in the middle of the night, uh, God sends the angel of the Lord down to conquer the Assyrian army and, and slaughter a hundred and 85,000 Assyrian soldiers. It's this incredible uh, moment of the effectiveness of Hezekiah's prayer. Now, we're going to look at our text this morning in, in 2 Kings chapter 20, where we see another prayer of Hezekiah that, that is effective. And, and so we're going to be talking about this morning, my, my message title is Prayer That Changes Things. Prayer that changes things. But let's look down at our text in 2 Kings 20 and verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Great news. 
And then he turned his face toward the wall, he meaning Hezekiah, and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember me now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle of the court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears and surely I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 15 years, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Let's pray, and we'll talk about this. Lord Jesus, I come before you this morning just asking that you would grace us, Lord, with an outpouring of your spirit. Lord, we recognize that, that your presence is already in this place. Lord, you're already working. You're already moving. And, and, and Jesus, I, I ask that we would <clears throat> have an awareness of your spirit. We would have a sensitivity of your voice. Lord, I ask that even though I'm the one with the microphone in my hand, Lord, that your voice would be the loudest in this room. Lord, that you'd speak into the deepest parts of us, Lord, not just into our minds that we understand or that we learn, but, Lord, deep into our hearts so that we could be transformed more into the image of Christ. Be with us this morning. Have your way in this place, Lord. Be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Praying is probably one of the most common things that Christians do. It's, it's a very common thing that many people uh, do. There was a study done a number of years ago that, it, that it's believed that about 75% of people pray at least once a week, uh, whether that be to uh, God, Yahweh, the, G, through Jesus, or it's prayed to another God, or it's just calling out to the universe. People pray a lot, but prayer is often one of the hardest things that we do as, as Christians. I, uh, for most of, the, most of the time, if I'm driving in a car or something, I'm listening to a podcast or something like that. Um, I, I, I like listening to a podcast. Pardon me for saying this, I'm a youth pastor, but have you guys ever seen the meme where uh, there's like people sitting and talking and then there's an armchair with like legs and hands but there's no one in it and it's like me listening to a podcast? You're just like the chair in the room. Um, I love listening to, to podcasts. I also really, really like to talk. Love talking. Sometimes I listen to podcasts for a little while and they start saying, saying stuff that, oh, I want to chime in. And so I'll pause it and I'll just begin to talk to myself <laughs> in the car. Sometimes, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, when I was a, when I was a child actor, you know, I, I went through stuff like this. You know, whatever podcast I'm listening to, I just start kind of 
chiming in. I really like to talk to myself. I've, I've preached this teaching uh, to my steering wheel, to my shower. I, I, I've, I've done it all. And, and I think part of the, the problem that I have found with prayer is uh, me chiming into a podcast that nobody's recording and nobody's listening to. And then when I'm going through some of the most difficult circumstances of my life and I begin to talk, that feels almost exactly the same. The way that I talk to myself when I'm in my car and the way that I pray and I cry out to God, it feels almost identical. And sometimes we can be so discouraged in prayer that we begin to de devalue prayer because it almost feels like we're just talking to ourselves. We're praying to, to a God and, and we're crying out to God and it seems like nothing's happening. It seems like it's falling onto the ears of our steering wheel rather than the ears of the God of the universe. And so we begin to feel a great doubt in, in our heart and, and so we begin to devalue prayer. But prayer is effective and it's effective to cause change in our lives. We see this demonstrated in the life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah prays. He says, Lord, would you cleanse the people? I know that they aren't cleansed the way that you, you have instructed us to, but by your grace, would you, would you cleanse them? And, and God inclines his ear, and he does. They, they receive word from the, the Assyrians that, that they are circled around. They are ready to take the stronghold of Jerusalem. The nation is weak and unable to. And, and Hezekiah cries out to God. He inclines his ears and he delivers them. Hezekiah is sick unto death. The word from God is, Hezekiah, get ready. You're about to die. Say goodbye. You know, make sure your will is all situated so that that's not a whole drama thing for your family and, and just die. And Hezekiah, he cries out to God. Prayer is effective. Prayer is good to cause change in our life. I, I think a, a lot of the times we don't think that, that prayer really changes things because in our own experience, maybe we've the idea of prayer causes a lot more hurt than it does hope. We, we've prayed for things and it seems like nothing's happened. But just because our experience has not proven that all of our prayers are answered, we ought to still cry out to God in prayer. The uh, Reformed theologian named Karl Barth says this great quote about prayer. He says, God does not act the same way whether we pray or not. Prayer exerts a kind of, I love this word, influence upon God. A pastor by the name of John Mark Comer, he says that prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer moves the hand of God, meaning... When we pray, things happen that would not have happened if we hadn't prayed. And I, I didn't come here to tell you really how. <laughs> and I'm not here to, to say, like, here, here is how you pray, and then everything you ask for, God's going to do. All I know is that when we pray, things happen that would not have otherwise happened if we hadn't prayed. Prayer has the power to somehow influence the hand of God. That's demonstrated here in our text. Isaiah comes with a word from God. 
God speaks to Isaiah and he says, hey, I want you to walk up to King Hezekiah and tell him he's sick and he's going to die. Isaiah's like, all right, I've said worse stuff. He, he walks in, he's like, uh, not gonna, you know, like you approach someone's like, office, you're like, And he's like, you're going to die. And Hezekiah's like, oh, okay. And he prays. He cries out to God. And then Isaiah, he's walking out. It says he hasn't even left the building yet. And God speaks to him again. And he walks back in. God spoke that he was going to die. God spoke again that he was going to live for 15 years. What happened in between was this prayer of Hezekiah. It's remarkable. This is the will of God. This is the word of God. You are going to die. Hezekiah prays, and, and it seems like God's hand was influenced. That, that the hand of God, the work of God, was changed into a different direction because prayer has the power to influence God. So we ought to pray. We often view prayer as not necessarily something that, that has great power to cause change. I think sometimes we kind of view prayer for its meditative value. And, and sometimes if we, we sit down and we pray to God, then we begin to start thinking clearly about our situation. And so now we are actually more uh, effective in our situation. Now prayer has meditative value and we are to meditate on the things of God and to pray to God and, and allow God to search us and know us. But prayer has, has more power than just the power of kind of centering ourselves around our life. Or we often view prayer as some sort of cosmic guessing game. And we think that the, God answers our prayers when we ask him to do what he's already going to do. And then some, oh, well, it just, maybe it just wasn't God's will. And it's just like, well, I didn't, ask, I didn't ask God for what he was doing. But prayer has the power to, to influence. So I want to look at Hezekiah's prayer and really pull kind of the posture of his prayer, some of the things that he says that, that really illustrate uh, some New Testament teachings and ideas about prayer. So first off, Isaiah comes to Hezekiah, he says, you're going to die. And we're told that Hezekiah's response is that he turns to the wall and begins to pray. He turns to the wall and begins to pray. This implies kind of the privacy of the prayer of Hezekiah. And really, it illustrates and kind of echoes this teaching of Jesus as, as Jesus gathered people on the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to kind of give the people this new way of being human, kind of the new law of God, if you will, the way of the kingdom of Jesus. And in it, he instructs the people on the way that they should pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, he says this, When you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners and on the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly." 
Jesus is encouraging a type of posture in our prayer. This idea of seeking God in secret, seeking God in private. The purpose of prayer is not to exercise our spirituality before other people, but it is to display our desperate need before God. Prayer isn't a way that we, 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 we pray to impress other people or to display our spirituality. If you've grown up in the church like I have, uh, you've probably been around really, really great prayers. Prayers. Like people who just pray and they just call to mind all these scriptures. They, 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 they make these, these like, it's like art what they do. You know, they're like, they're like, I was just thinking of, you know, they, they start, your word, Lord, where it says this and this, and they, they like paint this picture, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Like, I don't, and then I pray, I'm like, Lord, I pray that you bless today. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> my, my son, Sid, he's, he's two and a half, and we, we try to get him to pray, and, uh, it's a, a couple months ago, uh, we were sitting at the dinner table, we're trying to get him to pray, and dinner's hectic with, with toddlers, life is hectic with toddlers, and so we get, like, get him into the thing, he like kind of into the high chair, he like doesn't really want to be there, and then we're like trying to like slow down, we're trying to like, okay, let's, let's eat dinner, and we're like, Sid, would you pray for our meal? And he, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I'll pray. He puts his hands, he goes, he goes, dear Jesus, Amen. And Julianne and I, my, my wife, we were just like, oh, that was amazing. <laughs> and, uh, but we've been around, and, and sometimes we feel like our prayers need to be buttoned up, need to be impressive, need to kind of, uh, like, and they just don't. They just don't. There's prayers in, in uh, the book of Psalms that, like, I'm sure David writing them is just embarrassed that anybody saw them. Like, Lord, would you knock these people's teeth out? Like, there, there's this, this, there is a desperate need for prayer, for reliance on the presence of God. And sometimes we, we keep ourselves from praying because we feel like we need to do it a, a kind of way. But there is a, a secret aspect of prayer where God just wants to know your heart. And Hezekiah, he, he turns away. He turns towards the wall. He turns away from the people and begins to speak to God in secret and private. And that's what Jesus instructs us to do, is that we should be crying out to God because of our desperate need for him. It's not a, a way that we demonstrate our spirituality, but it's a way that we display how broken and how, how, how needy we are of the presence of God. And so we should pray and we should approach God as we can. However our life looks right now, we should start by praying. Lord, would you, would you speak into this? Would you meet me here? Lord, would you give your presence in this area? Would you bless this area? Would you forgive me for this? Lord, I'm sorry for that. Would you, would you pour your presence out upon this? We should just cry out to God. It doesn't need to be clean or pretty or anything. Turn away from the wall. It's just you and God. That's how we ought to pray. Then Hezekiah, his prayer honestly kind of takes an interesting turn. He turns to the wall and he says this, remember now, Lord, I pray, 
how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. Kind of interesting. Honestly, kind of reading it, and maybe I'm just, I don't know, a silly guy, but it, it seems like Hezekiah is trying to convince God a little bit. Like, hey, God, I've been a good boy. Would you help me out a little bit? Look, I, I remember how I've walked loyally. Remember how I've walked good. And remember how I've been so righteous. Would you, because of my righteousness, Lord, would you do something in us on the other side of the cross? You know, we know that, that our, our, our righteousness is no good. You can't convince God because you've been a good person or because you've been, like, like you actually have no right. The, your, the Bible says that, that your best is like filthy rags to God. They're dirty. It's dirty laundry. Your best. And it seems like Hezekiah is approaching God and saying, look, I've been a good boy. Would you help me? And we're like, What? What do you mean, Hezekiah? That's filthy laundry. Get it out of the presence of God. Like, you, you come humbly. But it's kind of interesting because what Hezekiah is doing is he's bridging the gap between him and God with the righteousness that he has. He's bridging the gap between him and God with the righteousness that he has. I bring that up because the, the gap that is divided between us and God, the reason why we are, are, are distant from God, why we need a Savior, is because of our unrighteousness. And Hezekiah, he is, he is speaking to God and he says, Lord, remember how I have been righteous. And remember, Hezekiah was righteous according to the law. Hezekiah, the righteousness that he is presenting God, is the righteousness that he is able to have. It is what allows him to approach God the way that he does, because he really has lived righteous in the eyes of God. Hezekiah is approaching God with his own righteousness that he has been granted through the works of the law. It's this kind of interesting idea, but our prayers, they should be in secret, but we also have access to God through righteousness, and Hezekiah displays that. That the bridge between him and God is, is made by righteousness, and for us it's the same way, but we have received a greater righteousness. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4 and verse 14, it says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This, this passage in Hebrews is, is painting a pretty interesting picture. It's speaking of Jesus as our high priest, and it says who has passed through the heavens. The imagery that the, the author of Hebrews is, is trying to paint here is that of the tabernacle in the temple. In, in the, the temple, there was, 
a, a place called the Holy of Holies that was, that was blocked off by a veil that separated uh, the people from the, the most potent part of God's presence. It was only accessed one time a, a year by the high priest who would pass through the veil from the, where God's presence wasn't most potent to where it was most potent. He would walk through this veil into the presence of God. But the author of Hebrews is kind of painting that picture, but in reverse. He's talking about this high priest who has passed through the heavens, the, the heavens meaning more like our atmosphere, into the earth, coming from this perfect place of God's presence and passing through the veil into a less perfect place. It's kind of this cool picture that the, the author of Hebrews is painting. And Jesus, the Son of God, he's passed through as our high priest. And the job of the priest was to represent the people of God to God. And so he's saying that Jesus has passed through to represent us for God. We're told, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. It's this picture where Jesus came, he took those, those dirty clothes, he took our dirty laundry, he became Sid and actually clothed us in righteousness. He clothed us in perfection. So when God looks down on us, he no longer sees our brokenness or our filthiness. There is no need for distance between us and God because we have been clothed in the righteousness of God. And so at the end of the section I read in Hebrews 16, it says, Therefore, come boldly to the throne room of grace. Come boldly through the throne, to the throne room of grace. I think we often don't pray because we feel like we have no access to God. We feel like we uniquely have, have hurt God's feelings or broken God's laws or disobeyed Him so much that we actually have no right to step into the presence of God. We feel like, like I have messed up too much that God doesn't care about my situation. I have, I have messed up. I have done so many wrong things in the eyes of God that God doesn't care about my family. And now, I don't know if any of us would actually say that out loud, but we pray as if we believe those things. I won't bring this issue to God because, you know, I should only really ask for some, some more serious stuff. But we're told because of the righteousness that Jesus has given us, because the bridge of righteousness, we can now access God boldly. We can walk into the throne room of grace, which uh, is just an interesting picture of a throne. A king sits on a throne. But then I, I think of when I was a kid and I would be feeling sick in the middle of the night and I, and I would get up and I'd go down or I had a bad dream and I'd walk into my parents' room and I'd be like, oh, mom, dad, I threw up. And it's like having bold access into this. And, and he's saying, it's the king's throne. He has power to help, and you have access. He wants you there that you can walk in with any situation you're going through, 
any problem that you're facing, whether you've messed up big time or not, because you can, you can walk through the bridge of Jesus who has granted you righteousness. The righteousness that you have is no good, but Jesus has clothed you in his righteousness when you believe in him. It's this, it's this interesting thing that, that Hezekiah does. He says, I've been good. He, he walks to God based on the righteousness that he has, and we have a greater righteousness because of Jesus. Now, Hezekiah then is, is healed. The word of God, uh, the, God's hand is influenced, and I don't know how, but it is. And Hezekiah is healed. And then the story takes a wild turn. Hezekiah's story, pretty random. Not going to lie. This part of the story, I'm like, what is going on here? Hezekiah prays. Excuse me. He's going to die. He prays. God heals him. And he gets 15 more years to live in his life. Up until this point, up until the sickness, Hezekiah is incredible. He's like an all-star. He's like a king of Israel all-star. Or God's people. He's, He's in Judah. Like David and Solomon Hezekiah, these guys are legends. Like, I, like they're going to be on the video game of the nation of Israel, and they're going to bring like old characters. You can play as Hezekiah. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, what he's done, he's reopened and cleansed the temple. He's sanctified the priests and Levites. He's made a covenant with God to remove his wrath from God's people. He's reinstituted instrument worship, just as his father David. He's consecrated the tape consecrated the temple and the people. He's kept the Passover. He's prayed for atonement over the people. He's broken down high places and altars. And he has seeked God's deliverance over Assyria. He's prayed for healing, and God has listened to him, and he's been granted. Incredible. The stats are unreal. From this point on, Hezekiah's life just is a lot different. Super interesting. Look at how in 2 Chronicles, it kind of summarizes the life of Hezekiah. This is 2 Chronicles 32. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. He prayed to the Lord and spoke to him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor that was shown to him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, wrath was looming over him and Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, and he and he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come in the days of Hezekiah. What in the world? Hezekiah, we're told he's sick, and God heals him, and he doesn't repay God according to the favor that was given to him. The story: What happens is after Israel's uh, defeat over Assyria. There's these Babylonian ambassadors who are very intrigued with what happened with Judah and Assyria. Because up until this point, nobody had been able to conquer Assyria. Nobody had been able to fight back against Assyria. They're this incredible military, uh, uh, strong military who has conquered all these different lands and defeated all these people. And they go up against Judah, and Judah's actually able to drive them out. And the Babylonians, who are another empire that is kind of surging up at this time, they are interested in like, who? 
Judah beat Assyria. I wonder how they did it. So they send these Babylonian ambassadors to Hezekiah into Judah. And we're told that, that Hezekiah takes these ambassadors and shows them all that Israel or Judah has. All the riches. They show him the house that he has. All the gold and all the silver. We're told that he does not hold anything back from these Babylonians. And then the word from the Lord speaks to Isaiah again. And he approaches Hezekiah. And he says, because of what you've done, the way that you entertain these Babylonians, your children, not... Hezekiah's specifically children, but the children of Judah, the generations to follow, will be taken captive by Babylon. They will serve the Babylonian leadership, and the, the people will be taken into captivity. Before this prayer that we've been looking at, Hezekiah was righteous. He was incredible. In the 15 years to follow this prayer, after God heals Hezekiah, this is what happened. He boastfully displayed his wealth to Babylonian ambassadors. He did not repay God for the mercy shown to him. He opened the door for God to pour out judgment on Judah through Babylon. He parented Manasseh, who is probably the most wicked king that Judah had ever seen. Manasseh, his son, would tear down or would rebuild the high places that Hezekiah destroyed. He would place idols in the temple that Hezekiah consecrated, and he would oppress the people that Hezekiah prayed to be cleansed, and Babylon would oppress the people and take them captive and destroy the very temple which Hezekiah reopened. That's what happens after this prayer. So interesting, right? Hezekiah is going to die. He asks God to be healed, and then God heals him, and he kind of leads Judah into this terrible situation. It's kind of weird, right? And and because Hezekiah prays, he influences God, and the way that Hezekiah influenced God isn't that great. Just not that good. What happens to follow is so interesting. And I, I believe the, the reason for this being is because Hezekiah wore the victories of God as his own victories and didn't give glory to the God who gave him victory. Now, Hezekiah did an excellent job up until this point but he began to wear God's victories as his own victories. We're told in God's response to Hezekiah's prayer for victory over Assyria, as well as Hezekiah's prayer for healing, that the reason why God did these things is for his own sake and for the sake of his servant David. God says, yes, I'm going to give you deliverance over Assyria, and I'm going to heal you for my own sake. Not for your sake, for my own sake, and for the sake of my servant David, or in other words, for the sake of my promise and for the sake of my word. God says that he is going to listen and incline his ears and move the direction of his hand because of what Hezekiah asked, for the sake of God's own glory. But Hezekiah began to wear God's glory as his own glory. 
He shows these Babylonians, this is how we did it. This is how we conquered Assyria. This is what's going on in this house. And, and we see that there is repercussions for that. But it kind of begs the question, why would God allow Hezekiah to be healed if it seems, just from me looking on at the scriptures, what happens after, it seems a little better that Hezekiah would have just died. Kind of interesting. Now, this just shows the value of praying what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22, when he prays for the cup of suffering to be taken away from him. But he says these words, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Our desire through prayer should be that God's will is accomplished and for God's glory to be made known. For God's will to be accomplished and for God's glory to be made known. We pray for God to intervene into our life and we pray to God that, that things are going to happen in our life, but our desire should, should mostly be that the will of God would intervene into our heart, that we would be able to accept the good and perfect will of God, that we should desire the will of God to be known in our life. Uh, as I wrap up the worship team, you guys can come up here. I, I believe that we often view this, this idea, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, as this the spiritual equivalent of if not, no worries. That is tagged at almost every email that I've ever sent in my life. <laughs> Even uh, yesterday, I, I texted uh, uh, Silver, like my points uh, to, uh, and, and I was like, here, here are like my points and my verses, you know. If it's too late, like, to get them in, like, no worries. <laughs> like, here are my points. Can you put them in the, in the computer? If not, no worries. And, and we, we sometimes view, like, the, the will of, like, saying, nevertheless, Lord, not my will but yours be done, as the spiritual equivalent to, like, Lord, would you heal this person? But nevertheless, Lord, not my will but your will. <laughs> like, I just don't want to be wrong. I don't, want to, I don't want to pray for someone and then them not be healed and then kind of be like, oh, that's because your prayer didn't work. So I'm just going to kind of throw, nevertheless, Lord, not my will, your will be done. And that way I don't actually have like any, uh, you know, whatever. Like if not, no worries. But this desire, this what, what Jesus prays here in the garden should be our utmost desire in prayer. That the will of God would be done in our life. Thinking back also to what Jesus prayed, uh, which is called the Lord's Prayer, when he says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That should be our chief desire in prayer. Now, we understand that our prayer somehow in prayer has the power to influence the way that God works. We see it displayed in Hezekiah's life. If we pray, God can, can intervene, he, he, can, he can heal, He can change, He can deliver, He can bless, He can prosper, He can forgive, all of these things. It, it, it can change, but our chief desire 
is, Lord, would you change me to have more of a desire for your will? And we see Hezekiah, he fails in this. He begins to take the glory of God and wear it as his own glory. He, he shows the Babylonians, this is how we did it. When God didn't do it for Hezekiah, God did it for his own glory. God did it for his own glory and for the sake of his servant David. And, and, and Isaiah comes, he brings this word to Hezekiah, and, and we're told in 2 Chronicles that he repents. He, he turns from his pride. And, and, and he says, the, um, ba the Babylonians will, will take your people captive, uh, but not in your lifetime, but in your children. And, and Hezekiah appears to be kind of undone and thanks God. He says, this word is good because at least it's not happening right now, but truth uh, will reign for a little while longer. And Hezekiah is kind of broken from the word of the Lord and sees his own fault. But what, he, what got him to that point was he began to wear God's glory as his own glory. Our desire should be for God to change our hearts to desire more of his will. And we come boldly into his presence and we can ask. Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But what Jesus is really saying is ask for the spirit and the spirit will be poured out. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and you will find God. Knock and on the other side of the door is Jesus knocking on the door asking you to come close. The purpose of prayer is not to change things and get things done, but to bring us closer into the presence of God. That is, that is the chief goal of prayer. So as we pray in private, we open ourselves up to God. We say, Lord, you can have all of me. I'm not putting on a show. I'm not holding anything back. Lord, enter into my life. And we can boldly walk in because of what Jesus has done for us. He has wrapped us in his righteousness. We have access to the God of the universe who is willing and able to help in all things. And we should ask God to work for his own sake and for the sake of his promises. We should desire first and foremost the will of God being done in our life. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence, for your involvement. I'm so struck by, by the life of Hezekiah just being marked with these prayers where you incline your ear and you begin to work in, in a new direction because of what he requested. Jesus, I pray that you would stir within us faith and hope in your power, in your ability, also in your nearness. Lord, we don't need to put on a show to try to convince you to draw near, Lord. We just need to turn our eyes towards you. You're there. Thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross that has granted us access in your presence. Jesus, I pray that you would change our hearts to, de to desire more of you. If there's anyone in here who is in a situation like Hezekiah, I think of all the people who, who came forward during worship this morning who are 
at the end of their ability, they, they need intervention from you, Lord. I, I pray that you would meet them. Pour your power out upon them. Lord, that you would incline your ear to their prayers. And Jesus, I pray that you would you'd stir in their heart a desire for your will to be done. Lord, as we make our requests to you, would we, would we hold our, our visions of how you're going to work loosely and be open to the way that you see fit to solve these problems? Lord, if it's relational and we want, we want people to forgive other people, Lord, would you do a work of forgiveness in us? Lord, if it's sickness, Lord, would you stir in us a desire for, for your will, but also a, a strong faith that, that you can overcome, that you can deliver. I pray that, Lord, like Hezekiah, we would be a people marked by prayer, a people marked by humbly turning our face to the wall and seeking you in secret. Lord, a people that that pray in secret and are rewarded openly, that this city, that our community, that our church body, that our workplaces, that our families would, would reap the benefits of someone who prays in secret. Jesus, I thank you that you hear us even now. Pray that we bring glory and honor and praise to your name as we leave this place. Holy Spirit, come and enable us to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.